I need a break. School is kicking my butt. I felt confident I'd be able to run with this crowd, but my major is hard, and NYU isn't exactly the friendliest of schools. Everything is always so busy. I just want to write and read in peace. My roommate just wants to party until the sun comes up. I decided I would treat myself to the true New York experience for my birthday. I rented a lovely apartment just a few blocks away from my dorm. I plan on visiting all the local restaurants, sit in Washington Square Park, read to my heart's content, and hopefully write a story or two. I also hear this neighborhood is haunted. Maybe I'll catch a ghost tour to get a little of the history. A good ghost story always sparks creativity when I'm trying to get to the twist in my story to leave the reader reeling. I only pack the essentials. I don't want anything extra distracting me. I load up my tote bag and decide I can come back for anything if I really need it. Again, I'm only blocks away. I check my phone for the code. It's there. The apartment is ready. I head out the door, roughly a 10 minute walk. Easy. I make it to my spot, 14 West 10th Street. I enter the building and there's no elevator. It's only four flights. You can do it, I think to myself. At the top, I see 4W and type in the code, 1856. I let myself in and from just a small view, I can already tell this is where I am supposed to be. I sit my back down and head over to the right to the living room. It has a lot of natural light. Perfect. I head down to the left hallway. I find two bedrooms, a kitchen, and a bathroom, just like the photos. First things first, I'm going to take a quiet middle of the afternoon nap. Just as I am falling asleep, I hear what sounds like scratching at the door. I'm not sure what it could be. I get up from bed and open the door to find the noise. Now the hallway is completely quiet. I decide to leave the door open just in case I hear it again. I'm about to fall asleep again when I feel like something jumps up onto the bed and is walking towards me, like a cat. I open my eyes and the feeling becomes weightless. I must have been dreaming already. Finally, I fall into a deep, deep sleep. However, it's rather restless. In my dreams, I'm running. I don't know what I'm running from, but I'm running for my life. I'm running so hard that I'm barely moving. Something is gaining on me. My dream is getting darker, more twisted. The atmosphere is feeling with dread and despair. I trip and I open my eyes and I'm in my bed with a soft sunset cascading orange and pink through the windows. I get out of bed and stretch, checking my watch. It's 5.17. Time to find some dinner. I put on my boots and coat and make my way to Carbone for some Italian food. My favorite. Dinner was delicious. After a wait and eating, it's now 7.30. The sun is set and I must make the trek back. As I start, I make sure to make my way to Bravo's Book Nook. Sometimes they have things going on at night. As I walk up, I see a crowd of people. Very promising. The sign out front says Ghost Tour. Greenwich Village. I cannot pass on this opportunity and make my way to the front. I score the last ticket. There's about 20 of us total. The next tour starts at 8 p.m. I made it right on time.
a short man in a silly outfit from the 1900s, introduces himself as our tour guide. We will be hitting all the hot spots in the Greenwich Village. Our first stop, Washington Square Park. Our tour guide spills all the history, adding a spooky spin to every story that is mainly just tragedy. From Washington Square Park, we hit the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, Brittany Hall, that's my dorm. I've always heard it was haunted, but I honestly never knew the full story. In one last special spot, it's a surprise. As we leave Brittany Hall, we take 10th Street, the same street I walked earlier in the day. As we get to the second block, our tour guide crosses the street to the left and then to the right, diagonally from where half of us got stuck at a light. Just behind him, I can see where I'm staying. I'll ask where the next place is, just to see if it's worth to go home now. The rest of us make it across the street and I'm having to walk fast to make it to the front. I'm about to reach it when our tour guide stops and turns around. Everyone else stops too. He says, now, one of Greenwich's famous haunted houses, the house of death. We make eye contact and he winks. Once home to many famous people, there's a story in particular I must share. He goes on to tell such a tragic story, my heart breaks into a million pieces. My eyes are brimming with tears as he points upwards at the exact window that is my apartment and says, whatever you do, don't stay in 4W. There is a moment of silence that follows his statement. And then he claps his hands and thanks everyone for accompanying him on this tour to follow him back and explore the books at Bravo's Book Nook. But as everyone walks away, I'm frozen in place, staring up at the windows at the now ugly house. I didn't notice it before, but the darkness of the night, the house looks evil, like it'll swallow you up and you'll never be seen again. After what feels like too long, I try to move my feet. They feel like concrete, molded into place on the sidewalk. I take one step forward, then another, and another. Finally, I'm at the front door. I will myself to go inside. My hand trembles, hovering just over the handle. If I want to go back to my dorm, I must go inside and get my keys. I go for it bursting through the door and running up the stairs. As I run up, it sounds like someone's chasing me. I glance behind me and all I see is darkness, just like in my dream, except this time, I don't trip. I make it to my floor, then my apartment, then through the door. I rush into the bedroom and quickly grab my things. It takes a moment, but as I'm putting things into my bag, I hear the sound of footsteps walking down the hall towards me. They grow louder until they are just at the door. The air in the room suddenly shifts. The temperature changes and it feels like the steam left over from a shower. Screw this. Once I gather everything from the room, I run to the door, leaving it open behind me and make my way to the living room. I need to grab the remainder of my possessions. Once in the room, I notice one corner is so much more darker. It's the shadow from the hall light, I tell myself. I just have to keep calm. I take a sideways glance into the dark corner again 
and I notice it's encroached further into the living room. It's almost to my feet when I decide I have everything. I exit the apartment. I'm flying down the stairs looking at my feet. One, two, three, four, five, six, turn. One, two, three, four, five, six, turn. I look up during this turn and collide with a man in all white. I lose my footing and tumble down the stairs. I brace for impact just before reaching the bottom. And bam! I wake up in the apartment's bed. The walls are painted in orange and pink. I check the time. It's 5.17. Hey guys, it's Holly and Brittany, two sisters who take a deep dive into the history of the world's most haunted places and paranormal happenings. This is Sisterstitious, and it's about to get spooky. Now, since every good ghost story starts at the beginning, that is where we are going to begin. The Greenwich Village in New York is approximately 185 acres and around 450 years old. The first inhabitants of the Greenwich Village area were the Native Americans. Throughout history, the area has changed dramatically. Today, Greenwich Village is mostly tied to NYU, has Washington Square Park nestled right in the middle, and features the infamous Carrie Bradshaw apartment. It is truly a little slice of New York City. While New York is not the oldest city, it is among one of the first places that was settled on by immigrants to North America. Fast forward to the 18th century. Washington Square Park was purchased by the city of New York for $4,500, which is about $133,000 in today's money. Since New York was ever-growing, there needed to be a place to lay the bones of the indigent, the poor, the criminals, and the sick that could not otherwise afford private burial. The potter's field covered what is about two-thirds of Washington Square Park. Eventually, as things do over time, the potter's field began to become full. No additional bones could be buried there. Not wanting this space and property value to go to waste, the mayor, Philip Hone, decided to turn the park into a public space. I wonder if these residents knew that under the grounds their children played on housed upwards of 20,000 bodies. In 2005, the city of New York was carrying out a renovation plan to relocate a beloved fountain, as the relocation would make the fountain line up with the Washington Square Arch. It was one of the first times these bodies saw the light of day again. Then again, in 2009, a tombstone from 1799 was discovered belonging to James Jackson. In 2015, while digging out the old water main, two vaults were found and contained around 30 bodies. It's a wonder these vaults were not found before now. The city of New York has no plans to intentionally discover and move the bodies of old souls that reside in Washington Square Park. They'll make themselves known when it's their time. As mentioned previously, the prestigious New York University has portions of it nestled in Washington Square Park. One building of extreme interest is the Brown Building. Before the Brown Building was repurposed by NYU, it was the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. On March 25, 1911, the eighth floor of the building caught on fire and 146 people perished. 
The poor victims of the fire either died by smoke inhalation, burning to death, or jumping from the burning building. There are many phantoms that the brown building frequently sees. Yetta Berger is one of the most seen. She jumped from the building to save herself. However, she fell and broke her spine, later dying in the hospital. Those that have seen her say the air smells like smoke and burnt flesh after she walks by. She can be seen wandering the halls or jumping from the ninth floor. Another pair of phantoms is the kissing couple. They are often seen kissing before they leap from the burning building. Not only could you possibly see a ghost, but you may be able to hear them too. Most everyone that spends time in this building has heard a scream or two that cannot be explained. Another NYU building, Brittany Hall, sits just on the border of Greenwich Village. In 1929, Brittany Hotel was constructed as a luxury hotel. During the Prohibition era, the penthouse was used as a speakeasy for the elite. Brittany Hotel did not have the glamoured start it portrayed, however. During the construction of the hotel, a young girl, Molly, was playing around the construction site and fell to her death after a misstep at the unfinished elevator shaft. Now, Brittany Hotel is Brittany Hall, a dormitory for NYU. Don't worry, though. Molly is still around to show those college students the best places to play. The Greenwich Village continues to give. The Emma Lazarus house, just two doors down from the house of death, is rumored to be haunted. Emma Lazarus should be a name you recognize, as she is the author of The New Colossus. The New Colossus is the poem that America proudly bared on the Statue of Liberty in 1903, with the infamous saying, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, temps toast to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Emma Lazarus died at the age of 38 in 1887. She was a glamorous woman, smart, educated, but most importantly, outspoken and passionate of her Jewish culture. During this time, Jewish immigrants were coming to America for refuge. They were stationed on Ward's Island, now known as Roosevelt's Island. She organized classes, found them housing, and brought attention to the hardships Jewish immigrants were facing coming to America. Emma Lazarus will still show herself to this day. If you go to visit her house, she is often seen in windows or looking about in the house. If you stick around long enough, you may just catch sight of her. While these are just a few of the haunted residences and buildings in Greenwich Village, the area is crawling with paranormal activity. Some other places of note are the Jefferson Market Library. This library was once a night court and served the Women's House of Detention. Spirits from the Women's House of Detention still lurk around the garden where the House of Detention once sat. The next is 12 Gay Street. This area has been many different things, from an alley of stables, a morgue, and soon federal houses. Most famously, 12 Gay Street was the Pirate's Den, purchased by the mayor during the Prohibition era. It was a speakeasy. Sounds of heels can be heard walking up and down the hallways, flappers can be seen time and time again, and lastly, an apparition in all black can be seen descending to the basement, where the speakeasy once reigned. 14 West 10th Street started out as a single-family home built in 1856, a Greek revivalist townhome with a sprawling 9,000 square feet. It housed some pretty memorable names to this day. One of the first residents was the widow of James Borman Johnson. 
who commissioned the 10th Street Studio Building. This was the first modern facility at the time designed solely to serve the needs of artists. It became the heart of the New York art world for the remainder of the 19th century. There are no known claims that the Johnsons witnessed any paranormal experiences, but after the Johnsons moved out of the home is when the dark experiences began. Famous cyclist Fred H. Andrew ended up accidentally hitting a young girl outside of the townhouse on his bike. The young girl did end up being okay in the end, but this was only the beginning of many misfortunes that took place in this building. Another famous name that resided at 14 West 10th Street was that of Mark Twain. Mark Twain only lived in the house from 1900 to 1901, but he dubbed this home his favorite. However, it was during this time that he started falling into a period of deep depression, stemming from the death of his daughter Susie, who died from meningitis. Twain was a skeptic, but he was no stranger to some of the paranormal phenomena that took place in the home. He wrote about witnessing a wood kindling moving in the air all by itself. Thinking it was a rodent, he grabbed his gun and shot at the wood. It then fell to the ground. There was never a rodent found, but there was blood, which he claimed couldn't have possibly come from a ghost. We know that Twain didn't die in the home, or even in New York, but he is known to be one of the more active spirits. He is seen in a classic southern white suit, often walking up and down the stairwell, and others have claimed that he is the one tenants here pacing through the empty parts of the building. Right outside of the residence, there is a plaque hanging that reads, In this house once lived Mark Twain, Samuel Langhorne Clemens, author of the beloved classic, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. In 1937, the townhome was converted into a 10-unit apartment building, which was very common during this time due to the low housing inventory. A single mother and her daughter claimed to have seen Mark Twain's ghost sitting in a chair peering outside of a window. The woman asked, Who are you? What do you want here? He turned and said to them, My name is Clemens, and I has a problem here I gotta settle. Hopefully his spirit will someday settle the problem that has kept him on this side of the veil. But until then, I guess you should find yourself lucky if you ever do encounter the spirit of Mr. Twain. One of the more notable tenants that moved into the apartment building was actress Jan Bryant Bartell. But before she lived in 14 West 10th Street, she actually lived in the building right next door for quite some time. Even though the following account didn't happen directly in 14 West 10th Street, these two buildings share walls and clearly share some similar paranormal events. I think maybe 16 West 10th Street should also be listed as one of New York's most haunted buildings. That is why we feel it is important to share her experience from the building next door, as it will spill over to when she moves into the house of death. Jan moved onto the top floor of 16 West 10th Street with her husband in 1957. The following is her experience taken from her memoir, Spindrift, Spray from a Psychic Sea. Jan and her husband were having a hard time finding a place to live since there was a housing shortage and the apartments were hard to find and were getting more and more expensive. She was in an incredibly desperate place. From the beginning, there was negative energy associated with the apartment. Her unit was four flights up and she constantly felt like someone was closely following her up the stairs. She wasn't impressed with the unit and noticed it had a very strong, bad odor but found some things charming, like the fireplace, and knew that with the right paint and work, she could make it feel like home. 
The first night she stayed in the apartment, she decided she wanted to sleep in another room because her husband snored, so she thought it would be more comfortable for her. That night, the hauntings presumably began. She saw a dark shadow figure approaching her from the wall. She tried to chalk it up to shadows from the trees outside, but she realized she was so far up in the building that no shadows could come in. After a few days, she noticed that she would hear someone walking up and down the stairway. She ended up asking her neighbors if they heard the same thing, and they claimed they didn't. She constantly felt like she was being watched, and her dog, Penny, would always stay close, growling at random pieces of furniture and rooms. Another night near the beginning of their move-in, she heard footsteps right outside of the room she was sleeping in. She originally thought it was her husband walking to the bathroom, but realized they stopped right outside of her door. She decided to get up and look and saw her husband sound asleep in bed, knowing full well there was no way that he was awake enough to have gone to the bathroom. At this point, she was up and ready to leave the apartment completely. But since finding an apartment was so difficult, it caused them to stay for quite a few more years. Over time, the hauntings and paranormal happenings would come and go, enough for Jan to feel better about her choice of residence. But eventually, activity would start up again. She landed a role for an off-Broadway play. Since her role was that of a blind woman, she would practice for her role by covering her eyes with a blindfold and saying her lines. One afternoon as she was doing this, she heard a rustling sound and felt a breeze. She originally thought it was her dog. With her blindfold still on, she reached her hands out and felt an odd substance. She claimed it was chilly and damp, like the mist of some sort. As she pulled her hand back, a scent overwhelmed her. She described it as an unbearably coyly sweet, a scent she did not know. She ripped off her blindfold and saw that her dog Penny was crouched, panting in terror. In the corner of her eye, she could see something white, like a smoke curl from a cigarette. Unfortunately for Jan, the energy in the home seemingly enjoyed making appearances while she practiced for her roles. Jan received a role in another play and was practicing her lines at home when she saw a small gray shape run across her feet. Her first way to rationalize what happened was assume it was a rat, but she knew deep down she just couldn't explain what it was. Through all these hauntings, her husband Fred was still quite skeptical, but Jan wasn't alone experiencing this phenomenon in the unit. She had a very hard time keeping house cleaners, as they would always experience something in the home and never return. One housekeeper named Jake made all the difference, though. Jake was cleaning one afternoon, and Jan heard her talking and made a comment about Jake chatting to herself. Jake informed Jan that she was talking to a cat. Confused, Jan told her she didn't have a cat and only had a dog. Jake then replied, I know a cat when I see one, and you have got a cat. It just scooted by me into the bathroom. He's just a little, little spirit cat. He ain't fixing to do you no harm. The next day, Fred's skepticism would come to a screeching halt. Both Fred and Jan witnessed such a strange experience that sent their dog into a manic frenzy. Jan called a man named Hans Holzer, who brought a medium into her home. At once, the woman claimed that there was a lot of activity in the home, and there was an aborted child and a young girl buried below the floorboards. After that, she became seemingly possessed by the spirit of a woman named Rini, who claimed that she would never ever leave the home. After that, Jan made every effort to move out of the apartment. 
they were able to find a different apartment in a different neighborhood, but after moving, she was still quite unhappy with her living arrangement. She received a call and was told that there was a unit available back in her old neighborhood, in the Mark Twain house. Feeling overly excited about this opportunity, Jan and her husband rushed over to the building and immediately took Unit 4W as their new home. Jan claimed this apartment shared a wall with their old apartment. It was now 1967, and even though there were thoughts that all the darkness from before were far behind them, Jan couldn't exactly shake an uneasy feeling. After living in the home for over a year, a series of strange deaths would occur. Jan stated that when they moved in, there were 10 families in the house, five in the West Wing and five in the East Wing. But tenants from the home started dying left and right. She compared the deaths to the 10 Little Indians nursery rhyme. 10 Little Indians all in a line, one fell dead and then there were nine. Nine Little Indians learning to skate, one broke his neck and then there were eight. Eight Little Indians praying to heaven, one ascended and then there were seven. Wanting to once again leave the apartment, she told the landlord the house was cursed and they moved to New Rochelle. There, she was able to complete the writing of Spindrift. But before Jan could even see the publication of her book, she passed away on June 13, 1973, at the age of 51. It seems she was the last little Indian, and then there were none. The last and most horrendous tragedy that plagued this 10th Street building was that of the death of little Lisa Steinberg, caused by a real-life monster. Joel Steinberg was a criminal defense attorney who lived in the residence with his two children, Lisa, Mitchell, and partner, Hedda Nesbaum. On November 1, 1987, Steinberg beat poor Lisa unconscious after getting high off of crack cocaine. He then left to go party with his friends. Nesbaum found Lisa non-responsive on the bathroom floor tried to resuscitate her, and then eventually called 911. When police arrived, the unit was completely filthy and covered with drugs and paraphernalia. They also found 18-month Mitchell tied to his playpen covered in dirt and urine. Nesbaum and Mitchell also had injuries related to physical abuse. Lisa was transported to St. Vincent where she spent three days, but with no improvement. She was pulled off of life support and died. Steinberg was convicted for manslaughter. He was sentenced up to 25 years in prison, which was the maximum penalty. Steinberg was released in 2004 for good behavior. Another thing worth mentioning is that both Lisa and Mitchell were illegally adopted by Steinberg. Lisa's mother paid Joel to find her a good home, but instead of doing what she asked, he kept the child and never filed formal adoption papers. Mitchell is now back with his birth mother. Nesbaum was able to avoid charges in Lisa's murder because medical examinations deemed her too beaten up to be able to harm Lisa. Being an abuse victim of Steinberg as well, Nesbaum claimed to try to leave him six different times only to return. Her attorney stated that she showed signs of battered women's syndrome, which is a pattern of symptoms displayed by a woman who has suffered persistent intimate partner violence. After Lisa's death, she led a support group for battered women and spoke at colleges and shelters about abuse. In 2005, she released her book, Surviving Inmate Terrorism, recounting her painful 12 years experience with Joel Steinberg. It seems that after this horrendous tragedy, 
The house of death has calmed down in terms of paranormal experiences, but it is still known to be haunted by over 20 spirits, with the most activity coming from a gray cat, young girl, and a woman in white. All units in the building are currently lived in, and the tenants living there seem to be carrying out quite normal lives. But that's the thing about closed doors. We never quite know what's really going on, do we? Hey, Britt. Hey, Holly. So I loved learning all about the history of Greenwich Village, and I had no idea that Greenwich Village had like such a dark, spooky past. And I know that you um, were the one that researched a lot of that. What was something that was like the most interesting to you when you were researching? Well, one of the most interesting things was the history that it was kind of quote unquote discovered in the 16th century. Um, it was inhabited by Indians and you know, there's all the rumors about the spooky places. I feel like as soon as someone says it's haunted, someone's like, it was on an Indian burial ground. Mm -hmm. But this place very, very well maybe. Um, and then, you know, we talked about the history of how it started getting spooky in Washington Square Park. And to me, it's just crazy that there's so many bodies down there and that there is New York has no plan to dig them up. Now, these aren't the bodies from the Indian burial ground, but still it, some very sad souls, I feel mm -hmm. like, rest there. And I feel like that was kind of the tipping point for everything that happened going forward. Yeah. No, I mean, having... I mean, I feel like there's so many places that we probably don't even know about today um, that is, you know, kind of like an unmarked cemetery with unmarked graves with people buried places that we don't know about, right? Um, but I mean, I feel like that's just like the epitome of what starts a haunting is right. this, or these bodies, you know, buried underneath. I mean... I also wonder if that's pretty well known to New Yorkers. I'm sure that it is, but... I don't know. Hmm. I, they might know that some parts were part of a potter's field, but I don't know that they know a lot of it was because even the city workers of New York don't know where these vaults and bodies are buried. And, you know, if it was purchased by the government before, there should be some sort of record, a map of where these vaults of bodies or unmarked tombstones are right yeah well from a lot of our research you know there's a lot of things that are just hard to find and i think that you know we just have documentation from people telling stories continuously and those stories continuously being passed down but just from you know the the, the building that burned down do you remember what it was called the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Yes, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Um, I just couldn't remember it from the top of my head. That to the girl that, you know, let the terrorists into her, the basement of her house and all of the bombs went off. To the prison that was once there where the 
prisoners could, you know, just call down to people on the street. I just, I feel like at one point, you know, it had to be such a different place than it is now. And I know that before it started getting kind of uppity or upper class, I would say Greenwich Village used to be just like this bohemian paradise where all these artists would come and flock to. So I don't know, just the whole, the whole history of Greenwich Village is interesting and I'll be interested to like see as we continue researching these places, if we get into like different neighborhoods or different boroughs, if all of New York has a super dark past. Do you want to hear a cool fact that I found out while researching the Brown Building, which is or was the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory? Sure. When NYU purchased that portion of land or buildings or whatever, um, they almost went bankrupt within their accounts after the purchase. They had $67. Wow. Which, you know, is a lot more from back then to now, Mm -hmm. but that's still like nothing but they like two thousand percent raised their investment in just like five years after purchasing yeah that area so that's great that was something crazy i had no idea yeah that is really interesting and i mean i know that greenwich village was just like it was a place that people wanted to be and reading from jan bryant bartell's story like it was just somewhere that she was dying to be even though the apartments that she moved into weren't that nice you know when she first moved into 16 west 10th street like she hated the apartment she thought it was dreary she just got tons of bad vibes and knew like if she was like she could like fix it up with some paint and some decorations you know she was an artist herself so she could make a space that she enjoyed, but it's just, you know, and I, and, and I mean, maybe that's the way that it is in a lot of these, you know, New York neighborhoods is you just want to get into a neighborhood you like. You don't necessarily care about the apartment that you're renting. I just found it super interesting that, yeah, she liked it so much that she had this super dark experience in 16 West 10th Street, moved away for a little bit, hated that a the apartment she moved into and wanted to be back in Greenwich Village and decided she was going to move right next door, literally apartment walls touching each other. So it just like goes to show you that even if there's, you know, walls separating that hauntings necessarily aren't going to stop because of walls. I want to know how bad her other apartment was that she had to move back into the haunted area, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she discussed that there were, like, you know, street walkers and stuff. Um, And it was just sketchy all around, she said. So Mm -hmm. I just, I don't, I mean, not that street walkers wouldn't make you feel safe. um, But I just think that based on, like, some of what was going on in the neighborhood she was in, I think she just didn't feel safe. And she just loved it. She loved it so much. She loved going to the church on the corner. I think it just felt like home to her. So, I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that for whatever reason, 14 West 10th Street just draws people in. One of the stories about Mark Twain's ghost um, and, you know, his ghost still being there and people are like, I don't understand why, you know, why his spirit would still be there. I mean, he claimed that this apartment, for some reason, in 14 West 10th Street was like his favorite And from what we've learned before, ghosts just like to be where they're, you know, where they're happiest, where they're most comfortable. So Mm -hmm. 
whatever he's trying to figure out, just figure out in his happy place, I guess. Yeah, he needs to settle whatever's got him down. I know. Mark Twain, you need to move on, buddy. You need to move on. People like his sad mustache. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I heard his mustache described as. Sad. Yeah, I never noticed that. Never, like, looked at a picture of him and thought he had a sad mustache. But I do think it's funny that his ghost is seen in, like, the whole, like, southern white suit that is, like, pretty common in southern men back in the day so maybe uh the lady in white that people claim to see is actually mark twain (gasps) that would be the ultimate plot twist it it is and apparently he likes to hang out by the stairs and as i was reading spindrift which is an amazing book i highly recommend anybody if you can get your hands on it to read it It is um, out of print, so finding copies are very hard to come by. I did have to pay a lot of money for the copy that I bought, but it was 100% worth it. It's just such a good book. Um, um, I think somebody needs to buy rights to her book and make a movie because it was so good. Anyway, when I first started it, (laughs) I was confused about where all this took place because before going into it, I knew that she lived in 14 West 10th Street. But we know that that was towards the end. Um, She moved in there after 16 West 10th Street. So she always felt like there was somebody following her up the stairs at 16 West 10th Street. But when I thought she lived at 14 West 10th Street, I was like, come on, girl. That's Mark Twain. We all know Mark Twain hangs out by the staircase. I don't know why this is so scary. Samuel Clemens is probably just trying to tell you what the heck is wrong, you know? Well... Do you think she knew what Mark Twain looked like? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if I was her, I would have, I mean, I wouldn't even have looked back. I would have been like, I'm getting the heck out of here, you know? Like, bye. And then, you know, Mark Twain's just sitting there sad because no one's listening to him because he's freaking too many people out. That's why his mustache is so sad. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it just looks real different in his ghost life. I'm not sure. But Mark Twain, like we said, time to move on. That plaque outside of the building does not hold you to stay there. Be free. Fly on. Um, Yeah. And then the story of Lisa. Um, I actually bought Hedda Nossbaum's book because I thought that maybe I would kind of get some insight on how the apartment might possibly, you know have been like this fuel of dark space since we know that the apartments in this building are like just like they feel very dark but I just couldn't get myself to read the book for obvious reasons um I just couldn't put myself into that mental headspace you know it's a really it's a really dark it's a really dark story and really really just really hard to talk about on here so that definitely is not easy to have to research and learn about and even record because um, it's just so sad. Um, another interesting self-centered fact that I love is that New York uh, University has Brittany Hall, and I'm Brittany. Yeah. I know, and it was Brittany Hotel, and um, in one of the diggings they were doing at Washington Square Park, they found a flyer for a Brittany Hotel and a Holly Hotel. Wow, that is super I cool. I was like, that's us. So it was fun to see 
And then, but Brittany, Ho- Brittany Hall is haunted yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um, by so, a little, by a little girl, right? Yes, Molly. She okay. will show you where to play by the elevator shaft. Residents of the building will like see her, and they ask her to come play with them. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah. she's not like scary. Right, like kind of like the senator's daughter at the dress mm-hmm. ball. So yeah. if we've learned anything is don't let your kids play. Anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> nowhere. Nowhere. Um, but in a construction zone or in a near hotel staircase because it's going to lead to their demise, unfortunately. I know. I was getting kind of confused when I was reading about it because I kept imagining her chasing a ball and I was like, no, this is the wrong little girl. Yeah. But Um, I'm sure that's going to happen a lot. And luckily, I don't think next week any little kids die. Um, But it does relate to witches. So we know that witches back in the day would be like locked away or hung at very young ages. So I guess I need to eat my words and say that we won't be talking about kids because... You know, some of these women were like 16, 17, which is technically kids, so. But, once again, another super scary story. Um, Interesting, not a hotel. This is another house. And, once again, I'm not sure it's somewhere that you can actually stay in. I think you have to actually rent it. Like these apartments in 14 West 10th Street and 16 West 10th Street. I also wondered if, back to the apartments we are talking about before, um, I wonder if anybody in these buildings have had, like, anything, like, you know, seen any activity. I actually tried to, like, look up some of the people that live there. Um, and, like, Do you really? Them. <laughs> yeah, and stalk them on Facebook and Instagram just to see. I don't know, like... Look out, everyone. If you live in a haunted place, Holly is going to find you. Yes. I'm going to stalk you on social media. Not in real life. Don't worry. But part of me was like wanting to message them. And then I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be annoying. But maybe one day I'll get the guts. They're going to be like, my apartment is already haunted. And now this girl wants to talk to me. Yeah. (sighs) But you do have a scary story and you would like to share it with us we're more than happy to talk about it um put it in our podcast somewhere you're more than welcome to just shoot us a message if it's if you want to be on our podcast we'll be happy to let you be on our podcast um we would love it but if you also just want to send us a story we'll be more than happy to read it for you it's so interesting because ever since we started this podcast we've hearing from so many people that have paranormal experiences and it just like goes Mm -hmm. to show you that you know this stuff i mean if you want to be a skeptic it's fine but I think we all need to believe in this a little bit more than we do. (laughs) And not to always be afraid. It's not always bad, so. Sometimes it's a cat. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes a little gray cat. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't mind being being haunted by a a spirit cat that's not going to do me no harm, you know. Um, Yeah. And I don't know. People have said, too, when they've had activity that they miss it, like, once they move or they're gone that it's just like weird like you almost crave it i don't know everything's probably too still yeah 
That's true. They're just used to sounds, and they're just, like, waiting for something to pop out. Yeah, just living on edge all the time. Once again, I love reading about it. I love hearing about it. I will be happy to visit, but I'm not sure I want to live somewhere where there's hauntings going on. Um, So I'll take their word for it. Definitely take their word for it. We believe you. Yes. In a couple weeks, they're going to do Lake Lanier, so all of our Atlanta listeners are really excited about that, and hopefully you are too. Um, But before that, I think that's it. Do you have anything else to add, Brittany? Carrie Bradshaw's apartment is also in Greenwich Village. Yeah, but I don't care <laughs> I know about that's not relevant, it. but I just wanted to add it. Ugh. Yeah, I'm not a Sex in the City fan. Never have been. Never will be. You can hate me. I don't care. Just way too cheesy. And Carrie Bradshaw annoys the heck out of me. So there you go. She and can get haunted that, by all the ghosts. She can get yeah. haunted by all the ghosts. <laughs> and with that, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> yep. All right, guys. I hope you have a good week. This is for real our sign off. Bye. Bye. This episode was produced, written, and edited by Holly Daniel and Brittany Murray. Cover art by Ben May. We want to thank you for listening to this production of Sister Stitious. 